This is the Become the Lion podcast. If you are aiming to become the top in your industry, not second, not above average, the top, then you have come to the right place. Become the Lion will provide you with weekly insights and motivation needed from our guests on how to escape the common herd that society lives in. If you're looking to change your life, then get ready. Welcome to Become the Lion. Hi, this is Trevor Nicholas from Become the Lion. Today on the show, we have Yaro Starek. Yaro is the author of the blog Profits Blueprint and founder of the entrepreneursjourney.com blog. He began blogging over 10 years ago, initially as a hobby. However, as his income from blogging surpassed $10,000 a month, he decided his future lay in this new publishing medium. Since then, Yaro has used his blog as a platform to sell over $2 million in ebooks, online courses, and membership sites. Yaro, welcome to Become the Lion. Thank you, Trevor. I'm happy to be here. And Yaro, for our audience out there who might not know you, do you mind giving them a little bit of context on exactly how you got started as an entrepreneur? Sure. Well, I've been online as an entrepreneur since I was uh, 19 years old, which was when the dot-com boom, the first one, happened in 1999. And I, I, I literally started my first website then. Obviously, it was very early days, so I, I had a, a GeoCities website. And that site became my first income earner as well. I really didn't see myself as an entrepreneur exactly with that website, but it was something that I made some money from advertising and actually started a little e-commerce store selling cards there. It was about this card game called Magic the Gathering I used to play in, in high school. Uh, and that was my, my first sort of taste of internet business. And then I jumped into an essay editing company uh, just after graduating from university. And that became what I see my sort of first true online business. It, it made enough money to pay me a full-time salary. And it was a real lifestyle business. Uh, nowadays, you'd, you'd call that like a, a four-hour workweek, Tim Ferriss-style business. Um, I ran it while traveling the world. It, it had a team working for me, so I didn't have to do too much. And then in 2005, I started my blog. And that was actually because of initially wanting to grow traffic to the essay editing company through blogging. I didn't know what blogging actually was because it was so brand new then. And I started, first of all, an essay editing blog, which was really quite boring, but I did enjoy the process of blogging. So I started uh, a blog about the subject I really cared about, which is online entrepreneurship, like, like you love too, Trevor. And uh, it became something that I thought would, you know, might be a business. I treated it as a hobby to begin with and very much, you know, didn't see it becoming what it is today. But I focused on telling stories about what I had done with the essay editing company, with the card game uh, website and online store and all the other things I was thinking about uh, as an online entrepreneur. You know, you always have so many ideas and having a blog was a great place to sort of just dialogue and journal out all the thoughts and feelings and things I was going through, things that had worked, things that hadn't worked. And as a byproduct of actually just doing good blogging and being one of the earlier adopters of the platform, uh, I was also one of the first people able to teach how to make money from blogging. So after uh, two years of becoming a full-time blogger and making my full-time income there, 
I actually launched my, my first training program. I think it was probably the first online course on how to make money blogging back in 2007. And pretty much I've been riding that wave since then. I've, as you mentioned earlier, I've got eBooks, uh, online course, a membership site, and I've been teaching people the fundamentals of selling the digital products through blogging and email marketing since then. And that's, uh, that's what I'm doing right now. What was that experience like when you finally realized that, wait a second, I can actually make a full-time income th- from this thing called the internet? Well, you know, I always wanted to have my own business, uh, primarily because I wanted to avoid a job. That for me was the biggest, uh, I, I guess, fear of anything, of being trapped to a desk and having to get up at you know, an hour in, in the morning without sleeping in. I love sleeping in when I want to. And the idea of the internet being the pathway for that wasn't really in my mind growing up because you know, it, it wasn't common. I, you know, when I was 14, 15, I was playing Nintendo and, and rollerblading. Uh, there wasn't an internet so much, like only the super geeks were using it back then. So it wasn't until I really started, I guess, my adult years that I started realizing the internet is the pathway for me to eventually make a full-time income. You know, before then, I was thinking I might open, I don't know, it could have been a restaurant, could have been some, I might have made some kind of product and, and you know, physical product and do it the, the, the sort of retail way of selling something. But thank God, I have to say that, you know, the dot-com boom happened and that just showed, you know, the pathway. When you saw stores like Amazon and and businesses like eBay take off, it really showed the potential there. So uh, for me, I didn't really, I guess, I I don't think my first business, I I really thought this is my my potential full-time income, um, mainly because I lost interest in the game. But with that essay editing business, uh, and I really, you know, that was it. That was when I'm like, this business is, I'm graduated from university. I've got nothing else to do. I'm going to go all in and turn this into a full-time income. I do remember the, the first, probably the first time in one month we made like, you know, four or $5,000 in revenue. And that was the first time I could sort of say to myself, if that keeps happening, I don't need a job. I'll never have to have a job. Uh, and ideally, I'll grow it further and you know create a really amazing lifestyle. So it, it was really exciting. Uh, but you know what it's like when you reach one level, you're always thinking about the next level. So I think for me, the most exciting moment of you know comparing my entire entrepreneurship career, the most exciting moment was the moment where I made money without really doing anything and not involving any other humans either. It was from just producing content that went out on my blog and my email list and I sold an affiliate product. And you know, that was a $700 commission for something that I didn't even create, I didn't have to support. And that really showed me the power of just content marketing, really. That was the amazing thing there, having a business driven by content. So you know, those two moments, the first time I made, I guess, that full-time income in one month, and the first time I made that automated while you sleep uh, sale without needing any other human beings to be involved with it, you know, no contractors, no, no staff. Those are the two really big moments for me. How did you explain how you're making money online to your friends and family? Because I know for me it's, it's hard because a lot of people, they don't see all the different opportunities. Like you just mentioned how you did affiliate marketing. Most people don't even under, can't even grasp that. You can go into mm. you know, Amazon Associates where people don't even know they're being tracked and all these different things. So what would you say to someone who really, when they're trying to grasp the, the way that you make money? It's funny you ask that question right now. I just went through, you know, the uh, customs security uh, moving from Paris to London on, on the train. 
And as I went through the security system there with the, the London uh, customs checking, you know, they checked my passport and they asked me what I do. And I, like, I don't know how to answer it most of the time because A, I'm, I'm, I want to make sure that I don't get in trouble because they, I, you know, I can't be seen as working in another country. Otherwise, I have to get a working visa and I don't need to because my business runs you know, without me. I'm not looking for a job. But if I say, uh, you know, I'm a blogger, you get this sort of question mark on their eyes. What do you mean? <laughs> that's your job. Um, if you say, you know, I run an internet business, that sounds very vague. Uh, my friend actually recommends saying you're a consultant. You know, we talked about maybe calling ourselves a coach. You know, those are more mainstream phrases that people understand. Personally, I like saying writer uh, more than anything. I mean, back in the earlier days, I would have called myself an entrepreneur first. Now I think I call myself a, you know, a content creator, a writer first, an entrepreneur second. I just happened to use my writing to make a great business, where in the past you know, I had different types of businesses that wasn't about my writing. So writing is my answer for today. I like to call myself a writer uh, and a coach. But I think really the, um, the answer that's worked the best, like at a party or something like that, is to really lead with that I'm a blogger and I, I make money blogging because people at least understand now you know, I make money from Instagram or I make money from YouTube or I make money from social media. A blog is one of those tools. What happens after that, though, is you always get the question, so how exactly do you make money from that? And then you have to just sort of keep it really simple, advertising or I sell my own books or my own courses just to keep it really simple. And that's probably all you need to say because most people by then kind of glaze over and they, you know, they don't need to know anything more. I think that's excellent because I've tried explaining affiliate marketing to people and it's like it's like literally speaking a different language to them. Yeah, yeah it really is. <laughs> Let's say that someone's starting a blog. What do you think is a realistic time frame in which they can generate enough income that they would be able to possibly leave the job that they currently have? You know, Trevor, I get emails from people or live chat queries and they ask me, if I do everything you tell me to do, will I be making $10,000 know, in three months or something like that? And I hate that question because there's so many variables and you, know, you don't know the work ethic of the person asking the question. You don't know what phase they're at. Have they got a topic? You know, have they got uh, an area that actually they can make money in? Like it's a, a subject matter that people do buy products and services about. Um, so it's a difficult one to give a, a concrete answer to. I can say in my personal experience, my own blog, it really, before it became a full-time income, it was two years. You know, if I really want to be honest, it was like, you know, I made my first income from it after six months, but it wasn't until the second year where I can say, you know, I made that three to five, even pushed $10,000 a month uh, US from my blog. Now I've seen people do it faster than that because you know, they just have some sort of advantage, like, you know, an existing audience, they're already famous, so they can tap into publicity to get traffic. Um, maybe they have an existing email list or something like that, or they've written a book already, so they're already famous. And as soon as they blog, it's just an extension of what they already do. And then there's people who I've spoken to three years later, and they're still not really making much money because they've gone all over the place. They've changed topics. They've not really done much marketing, so they haven't built their audience. Uh, so I think the real answer is if you move through the phases and do things well and throw in a bit of luck. So if you choose a, a profitable topic and you know, do your research there, if you actually have some ability or source of powerful content, then you're offering value to the world. 
if you have access to an audience or you're willing to grow access to an audience through just good old fashioned marketing, possibly advertising as well, but I focus more on free content marketing. You do those three things well, then the opportunities to make money come to you. It's a lot easier when you've got an email list of people paying attention to what you do and a blog that's growing that email list every single day, which is you know the situation I've been in for the last decade. Then you can send an email and write a blog post and sell a product, whether it's your product, an affiliate product, and you can make money. And, and that can happen in three months, six months, you know, one year, two years. It's really up to the individual. Um, I don't like to promise any result because, frankly, there's no guarantees in business. I think we all know that. Uh, it's something that's really dependent on the person and the timing and the, the product or service or idea. So uh, there is no perfect answer. I, I wish I could give people one and they could just, you know, go out there and follow the steps and it would work. But there's just so many variables at play. I just can't do that. For your email list, it allows you to generate revenue. But sometimes getting an email list, you know, it sounds good in theory, but you also have to get subscribers to that list. What are some of the different ways in which you use to get some strategies to get subscribers to eventually just subscribe to your list? My list has grown almost entirely through organic traffic to my blog. Uh, we have done some paid marketing as well, but only in the last couple of years, and it's a fraction of, of what my blog has brought in uh, just from writing good content. So what I do is I, and, and have done since day one really with my blog, is share stories uh, of what's working and what's not working, as well as you know just good old-fashioned motivational content um, you know, reviews of, of things I use and just making sure I understand what my audience wants uh, and, and do things like this is really important, actually do things so that when you write to people, you're writing from a place of experience. You know, if you're going to write a review of a piece of software or a book or anything, make sure you've read the book, used the software, actually done something to report back. You know, the same with teaching. If you're teaching people how to lose weight, you better lost the weight yourself or you know helped a bunch of people lose weight so when you write those articles you're offering value if you do that well then people will share and and find your content the actual email is growing part comes from really a combination of two things there's the technology aspect of it which is uh, you know using some sort of uh, you know theme for a blog or a plugin for WordPress if we're talking WordPress for blogging and having, for example, a pop-up appear inviting people to join your email list. Something I do, I use what's called an exit intent pop-up. It's powered by Thrive Themes. There's other tools out there. Opt-in Monster is one we used to use. So the pop-up invites people to join my email list. I also have things like inline opt-in calls to action, which might be just like a little box that says, you know, do you want this free handout? Click the text link, pop open the pop-up, and uh, you know, a light box basically, and they can sign up. And over the years, I've had header opt-in boxes, footer opt-in boxes, sidebar opt-in boxes, and of course, landing pages, which are dedicated pages designed to get people to opt-in. Uh, in fact, you know, at the end of this interview, I'm probably going to recommend you download something of mine. I'm going to send people to a landing page, which is just a page that says, get this a great resource into your email address. So, you know, that part is the technical aspect. That's it's it's a troublesome aspect for people who are not technical. That's why you hire tech people to help you. It's what I do. I have a tech staff. Um, but that's not the hard part, really. The hard part is the copywriting. 
one of the most important skills I think any online business uh, marketer entrepreneur can develop is the art of copywriting. Because if you want those pop-ups and those opt-in boxes, all those places that you put on your blog to invite people to join your email list, if you want them to work, the headlines and the, the sub-headlines, and if you use them, the bullet points that, that attract people, that you know, invite that call to action, if they're not powerful, they're not going to work. So you need the combination of the technology to implement these options and then the powerful language to bring the person over the line and get them to take the action. So, you know, for me as a coach of this, I actually spend a lot of time uh, telling people that their headlines suck. And that's one of the most important things for them to work on is really get a better headline out there that speaks to their target audience and says, here's something amazing that will change your life. Because a lot of people, when they write their headlines to invite people onto an email list, they just use really boring language. Like, you know, I will show you how to lose weight in 10 days. That just sounds like everyone else saying, I will show you how to lose weight. You know, you need that, that methodology, that language that really speaks to the emotions and the desires of your target audience. So that takes practice. But when you get those things right and you have a great blog with great content, you have these call to actions in various forms, you will have a steady stream of incoming new email subscribers every day. And, and that's what I've got. I've had 50 to 100 people join my email list every day from organic traffic to my blog for over a decade now. I started adding email to my blog or from my blog in 2006. So we're in the 11th year now of collecting emails from that blog. And it works and it's consistent and it's reliable. So you do it right and it can be a lifetime asset. I was reading the book dot-com secrets the other day and one of the things that Russell Brunson mentioned in the book when he was doing his email follow-up sequence with a new email subscriber is that he would sell a product literally from that first email so would you recommend someone selling a product in the first email that the that your subscriber would receive or would you rather nurture the relationship and then start to sell them some products down the line well I'm, I'm a content marketer who started out really skewed to the nurturing building trust first uh, ideal ideology almost you know um, Russell I think certainly is uh, more more marketer and salesman than he is writer if you want to put it that way um, that being said you know I do have links to products in every email I send because they're in my footer but what I, I do and you know I, I think I've rebalanced this over the years but I assume that a person who subscribes to my newsletter or my uh, an email funnel basically a sequence doesn't necessarily know me yet. They may have read one article or watched one video or listened to one interview like this. And that's enough to at least open the door to a relationship, but I need to give the person something else to continue that relationship. So, you know, I like to start out with, first of all, the resource they signed up for, whether it's a handout, uh, you know, some sort of starting training video series or even a podcast or something like that. Um, but I also like to introduce myself with a life story. It's something I've used with my blog since almost day one. I've had a very detailed explanation of what I, who I am and what I've done because that's kind of like, you know, imagine you're sitting down uh, at a coffee shop meeting someone new. The first thing you say to them is you, you don't go, hey, you should go to this website and buy my book because that would just be you know, hard selling to a stranger. Usually the first thing you say in, in a conversation, you know, is how did you start doing what you do? And you go back in time and talk about yourself and explain, you know, what you went through and how you did it and what you're good at. And uh, the other person does the same. It's building a relationship. So I really believe in, in that process. And that's important to me because I think, and I tell this to my students as well, 
your chances of making a full-time income from blogging comes from small audiences who are very engaged and essentially treat you like a friend or a mentor slash friend, someone who they really trust and know. And that comes because they really benefit from your content and they buy your stuff. So usually it's content first, offers second. But when you do start making the offers, you know, you're like, for example, with my email sequences, week one is it's content, content with the, the offer starting to get introduced. Week two is special offer, you know, time limited uh, case studies, 24 hour warnings, the offer is going away, you know, it's, it's harder selling. So it's almost like a gauge that you kind of move from trust building content and slowly move towards sell, selling and offer making until you reach the end of the week and all you're doing is making offers and selling. That's the way I like to do it. I loved how you mentioned small audiences. Because I know for myself, I see people who ask me, you know, even if I have a small audience, how am I going to make more income? But what they might not realize is if, let's say you, let's just say you're you're just starting off, you have a small email list of 50 people, but then though, you know, you get a 90% opt-in rate on that list, and then say 30 out of the 50 people buy your product, I think that's a lot better. Let's say you have a email list of 2,000 people or 5,000 people, and you get an open rate of you know 10%, and then a click-through rate of like 1%. So sometimes I think people can take for granted or they might not see the value in having a small audience and that they can build that relationship with those core members. And then eventually as it grows on, those people always stick with them and back them up on anything that they do. Yeah, so true. I mean, really it's one of these topics where the size doesn't matter to, you know, have a pun that we everyone jokes about because, you know, like you said, if, if your goal is to make a full-time income, then you, you just need those 10 customers paying $10,000 a month or sorry, $1,000 a month and you're doing 10,000 a month or you need those 100 customers giving you 100 a month or you need 1,000 customers giving you 10 a month or a variety across the board of different prices and, and amounts of customers. And I could you know, even go into my customer database and sort of show you that, that there's a lot of 80-20 rules that play there where um, you've got a small handful of people who, who give me over $2,000 a year uh, in income and then another group who are maybe spending $50 to several hundred dollars and then you know some that only buy one book from me at $30 or something like that. Um, and the idea is to move more and more of them into the $1,000, $2,000 mark. But even though that, even still, that's probably going to be maybe 1,000 or 2,000 people a year in my business. So even though I've got this yeah, I won't say super huge email list, that's 50,000, 60,000 people. You really look at it as 2,000 who actually pay attention. And uh, you know, at any point in time, 1,000 who are actually have bought my stuff in the last 12 months or something like that. So the numbers really start to get smaller and smaller until you look at the, the really high value people. And that's what you've got to put the energy into creating is – the, the hardcore followers, the, the rabid fans, whatever you want to call them, the, the hyper-responsive customers who buy everything that you offer. And you'll always make more money from them. They'll be your evangelists. You'll get the most value from them. They'll get the most value from you. So working on that is way more important than just being able to say, hey, I've got 20,000 subscribers, but it doesn't mean anything if you've got no sales. So it's really more about the conversion rates. And uh, the return on investment, uh, how much revenue you're making, how much profit you're making, that's what matters for business. Those are you know, classic numbers. As I mentioned earlier in the show, in the intro, that your platform has sold over $2 million in ebooks, online courses, and membership sites. Out of those three right there, what do you think has been the biggest generating revenue for your company? Uh, it's easy to answer. Uh, flagship course, as I call them, uh, by far. Like my courses that are 500 
well, it's changed. When I first created courses back in, in 2007, they were $500 type programs. Uh, then in more recent years, 1000 1500 has been the, the, the price point. And that's by far been the lion's share of income. But it's important to note that a person who buys an ebook or becomes a member of my membership site, uh, you know, those are good cash flow sources. They're much smaller than the overall flagship course sales, but they're the people who are most likely to buy the flagship course when it becomes available or when I launch a new one. So, you know, that's traditional sales funnel marketing. It's easier for me to sell a thousand dollar course to someone who's already bought a $50 ebook from me because they already know my work. They're already on some level, a customer engaged, getting value from me. And same with the membership site, you know, they, they're only paying $50 a month. Uh, and that can be a great source of revenue. I, I pay a lot of my bills with the recurring revenue I get from my membership site. But really, it's the people in the membership site who then upgrade to my flagship course, uh, who, who are, you know, or are most likely to do so. And that's, that's what's great about this kind of business. It takes a while to sort of build up a product suite if you're going to sort of do what I do and really copy this funnel model. But it's, it's fantastic because it allows you to meet the needs of different people, uh, different topics, and different income levels. If they're not ready to join a high-level course with you but they can pay for your membership site, you can still help them. Maybe they just need an ebook that covers one problem. You know, they just need to help with their traffic. They don't need the entire course. Just give me some traffic advice so they can buy my traffic ebook, for example. So, you know, that, that's what I, I, I modeled my business on about five years ago when I kind of rebooted my business and created a whole new range of products from scratch. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was building up. And that's kind of what's running my business today. But, um, you know, if I was telling someone who's listening to this and they're thinking, what's the first product to create? I would definitely say a course, maybe not a big flagship course that's a thousand plus dollars, because that's that could be a you know a challenging thing to create if it's the first time you've ever created any kind of digital product. But creating maybe a two hundred dollar course or a three hundred dollar shorter course uh, is a good, good starting point because it gives you enough income that if you're selling ten to twenty copies of that a month, you know you're making three to, to six thousand uh, dollars a month if it's a three hundred dollar course. Uh, and it's not so high price that, you know, you need really intense marketing to sell it. And it's not a price point where you need to make this 20 hour video high end program. You know, you can do a, a sort of a, a four week live webinar training that might only be five to 10 hours at the end of the day and charge you know, $300 for it. So it's just kind of a starter point for someone new to selling digital products. When you create an online course, do you recommend keeping the course open forever or do you recommend having a close period, say, after a week or so? Both. <laughs> um, I've, I've kind of, I've done both uh, over the years, and they, they suit different strategies. Like, I've done a, a sort of a process where I've opened up a course, and then I've closed it down, and then a year later I've opened it up again. You know, it's sort of, I guess, a Jeff Walker-style product launch process. And, you know, in truth, you'll probably make potentially more sales in that one launch process than you would having it open all year round because of the, the, the urgency and the scarcity and the deadline, all that sort of thing. Um, but if you want to create like an evergreen business funnel, which is actually what my course has run off for the last probably three years now, actually, it's been running on a, some kind of evergreen model. Um, you can still include elements of those, you know, urgencies and scarcities and deadlines, 
Um, but you're not going to get that rush because it's, you know, you're not emailing your entire list during the launch campaign on an evergreen mode. You're not getting affiliates to promote all at the same time. So it's just not as big of a deal. But when you set up an evergreen, always open campaign that actually works, it really is that sort of hands-off income stream. Uh, and it, it, it's what will power that kind of laptop lifestyle, as I call it, where you can travel. Uh, you have got consistent income so you can hire people and grow your business to the next level. Or you can just, you know, keep the profit and, and uh, have this great lifestyle business. So, you know, you have to kind of think about both. I personally love uh, really a mix of everything. So when a course is new, open it up and close it down and then just create the course with that first group. And then maybe six months later, when you are confident you've created a great course and you've had all this great feedback, maybe you're starting to get some results from those first charter customers, then you can do uh, an opening again that becomes an evergreen campaign. But if you find you know, your launch campaign wasn't great, you might need to tweak it, do another launch. Maybe you have to change the, the email sequence or the, the resources to give away during the, the, the launch process or the, you know, the pre-selling process. So they're, they're both good strategies to reach the point where you feel confident you've got a great product, a great launch sequence, and then you can switch it over to Evergreen model. And then you can do both because you can always be sending different traffic sources through different avenues, uh, as I do. You know, I've had paid traffic going to an Evergreen campaign. There's no reason why I can't run a launch once a, once a year as well uh, to my own audience through my email list or to an affiliate partner or something like that. So you got options. Um, I do think, though, it's smart to start with launch-based rather than evergreen-based because you need to know it sells. And uh, you don't want to go and you know try and make an evergreen campaign for something that's untested never had customers, uh, has an untested marketing process either. So I recommend, and this is what I teach, if you're going to create a course, focus on doing a launch campaign to a charter group at a special discount price and do so with the idea of not creating the whole course up front and then selling it. You know, create maybe 10 to 20% of the course, then launch it. Get your first 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 customers in the course uh, build it with them you know build the second and the third and the fourth module as they're going through it stay stay ahead of them obviously but learn from them especially if you're like a coach type person you're an expert helping people do something you learn so much by doing group coaching webinars that you actually might find yourself changing the course on the fly based on the kind of people who've joined and what kind of questions they're answering asking uh, for example if they're asking beginner questions you don't want to uh, suddenly move on to an advanced topic realizing you've left everyone behind because they, they can't even get through the first module. So that's something I experienced with some of my training. I have to I kind of slow it down and, and focus a bit more on the basics to allow people to keep moving forward. And that's actually how I ended up coming up with two courses rather than one because I realized I kind of needed the more advanced version to follow up after the basics, you know, build your audience type beginner stuff. So uh, you might learn that about your own audience as well and end up having more than one course. So uh, that's a long way to answer to your question, <laughs> Trevor. When you're producing content for your blog and the different articles, how do you decide which articles that you're going to post and write for your blog? I've uh, really copied or followed the traditional blogging model and evolved it over the years. You know, when I first started blogging, I had this idea that I wanted to get all the stories that I'd lived as an entrepreneur out of my head and into digital content for the world through my blog. Uh, that was 
obviously a younger version of me and a younger version of the internet. And it was great. You know, I loved really just sharing the in the trenches story of starting my card game business of running my editing company and how I came up with pricing models and found contractors and built my traffic and then how I automated the business and so on. And then I started writing more about what was going on with internet marketing. You know, YouTube popped up and then Facebook popped up and uh, I started teaching blogging. So I started writing more about uh, blog content writing and how to build incoming links, search engine optimization, and then how to sell digital products and grow an email list. Uh, so I was, I've always kind of evolved it based on what I was interested in, what I was doing, where the internet was. So that's how I grew my blog. But it's important to kind of realize that I was growing my blog during an era where what was considered good blogging was still something that was evolving. And there just wasn't as many blogs. There wasn't as much content. You don't have all these millions of YouTube channels, millions of blogs, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Facebook, and so on, all this content competing for attention. So I always suggest today, and I teach this in my own programs, you need to be laser focused and very practical to begin with today. You know, you, you still want to use storytelling. I think it's the most important thing to do, but you really want to hit the need of your audience. So what are they trying to do? Help them actually do it with your blog content. Now, there are structures uh, and formats. Um, I, I don't really have time to go into all of those sorts of things in this podcast, but I do teach a, a concept called pillar articles, which essentially taps into frameworks like list posts, definitions, how-tos, uh, conceptual breakdowns, life story posts, these sorts of types of blog posts that I think every blogger needs to use, obviously with the idea that you're creating them to target specific needs in your market and strategically to sell your products and services. So, you know, you write a blog post to provide value and help people solve a problem, but also to get them to take the next step, which is to join your email list. And your email list then gives a bunch of content, which delivers more value, more relationship building, more trust building, and sells the product. So there's a start to finish linear sales process you're going through with your content. And you want to have that in mind when you create blog content. It shouldn't be all over the place. I just had this great idea. I'm going to write about it. I mean, that still can be great content, but it's not going to be as strategic as content designed to create sales funnels and make sales of your products and meet the most pressing needs of your audience. Now, I say that because my audience wants to know how to make money. I think your audience does too, Trevor. They're probably listening to this for ways to make money and grow a business. There is an aspect of blogging, though, that is also blogging for the sake of blogging, not to make money, which is I just want to share stories. I just want to explore topics. I want to help people without necessarily a business agenda behind every single piece of content. Uh, sometimes it's, it's trust building without necessarily trying to sell something straight away. And I love that kind of blogging too, because as a blogger and a writer, you get to explore other areas of your life and your personality. That's not always about trying to get people to buy your latest product. It still might help make sales because you're building trust and connecting with people on a different level, but it's not always about the product. And that, that to me is the beautiful thing about being a blogger is that opportunity to really go where you want to, uh, especially once you've built some sort of base of really helpful content that actually drives sales. You know, when you've got these funnels making money for you, then you kind of get the freedom to say, you know what, today I'm just going to explore 
you know, I, I want to have a, I want to write about politics just for today and see what people, how they react and what happens. And next, I want to talk about my family and see how they react and just enjoy that process of being a blogger. Yaro, I just wanted to say this interview has been excellent so far. And now we're going to enter the lines round. I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick questions before we end the show today. Sounds good. What would you say to someone who's just starting out and going after their dream? I'd say the most important thing to do that I really didn't do as an entrepreneur uh, is to factor in the people you're trying to reach. I had this notion, uh, my dream was to you know, avoid a job, have an amazing uh, business, whether it was offline or online to start with, I didn't know, but I wanted all the trappings of being an entrepreneur, the wealth, the freedom, the travel, you know, nice cars, uh, properties all around the world, that sort of thing. But I didn't factor in who I was trying to help. I just thought I'd come up with a product, it would be a hit, and people would buy it, and job's over. Uh, in reality, it's more about who you're helping and what you're helping them do and how you're solving problems. And I think if you focus on that first, then you're much more likely to succeed because it's people who create value who get to realize their dreams. Now, you know, there's a lot of people online today who do so by indulging in some very personal things. There's a lot of YouTubers out there who just talk about what they you know, how they do their hair or what, you know, what they ate for breakfast and they do incredibly well because they have an audience. So, you know, that doesn't mean you can't be very much about you, but you have to still factor in, are people going to pay attention? Why? What's the value for them? So that would be the mindset shift I'd recommend people think about if they're not thinking about it already. Do you happen to have two or three books that you'd recommend for our audience to read? Yes, I, I do. I, I, I had to think about this before our interview. Uh, two books I'd like to recommend that I think are a great combination uh, to meet sort of two different needs that entrepreneurs have. The first one is, is a pretty short book. People may have heard of it. It's called The Richest Man in Babylon. Uh, it's by, let me just bring that up. I think it's um, George Clayson or Classen, a uh, book I read many, many years ago as a, you know, in my early 20s. And it's such an important book for wealth creation. I'll put it as simple as that. If you want to uh, make money and keep money and grow money, which I think is you know such an important thing to do along with a business, because a business should be a you know a vehicle for income growth, but the money itself has to do work too. Uh, that's an important book to read. Simple principles, it's it's written like a fable. So richest man in Babylon, the richest man in Babylon. And I pair that with uh, maybe an un unlikely pairing, but uh, Total Recall, the Arnold Schwarzenegger biography written by Arnold himself. And I love recommending this book because, A, it was just so interesting to read about a person who's lived through three different, very different industries, you know, from professional bodybuilding to movie star and then politician. Uh, very diverse fields, but he succeeded in all of them. And I, like, I recommend it to entrepreneurs because, especially in, in my experience, I deal with a lot of people who are not natural marketers, do not like self-promotion, do not like the idea of having to go out there and sell themselves or sell what, they, what they're doing. And Arnold, in his book, repeats this message over and over again, whether he was a professional bodybuilder or a movie star or an aspiring governor, he had to market every single day what he was trying to become or what he was trying to grow. So he had to market the, the world of bodybuilding. He had to 
promote every single movie he ever made by doing these press junkets around the world. And of course, as a governor or a politician, he had to you know, meet and, and greet and do all kinds of marketing. And he says, you can't just be an artist and expect people to love your work. You can't just create a product or a service as an entrepreneur and expect the customers to come to you. There needs to be some sort of marketing. Even the best ideas, if you you know look into some of the more modern day success stories, I just finished reading another book. Uh, it's about Uber and Airbnb. And those guys, the founders of those companies, had to hustle like crazy promoting what they had created in order to get those initial customers. So I like to pair Total Recall as a marketing book for entrepreneurs with The Richest Man in Babylon as an investment and income growth and capital growth uh, advice book. I think those two will really help you with uh, what you're doing in your life and with your business. Yaro, last question of the day. Where can our audience find you? Ah, well, if you are interested in essentially doing what I do and, and following my advice around blogging and selling ebooks, membership sites, online courses, and of course, email marketing to do so, then I have the book you mentioned at the beginning, uh, The Blog Profits Blueprint. It's free in audio and a written PDF download. And that's available at blogprofitsblueprint.com. Nyaro, I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with our audience. Uh, thank you for having me, Trevor. And I wish everyone good luck with their businesses and especially their blogs if they start down the path of blogging. Thanks for listening to Become the Lion. Everything from today's show will be in our show notes on our website. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Till next week, don't stop grinding.